This recording was brought to you by Media One Audio Visual. To learn more about us, visit us online at MediaOneAudio.com. Well, thank you uh, for, for joining us at the SF Music Tech Summit. This is the uh, investment and m and panel. Um, so you'll get to learn about all the things that you should be buying, I suppose. Uh, my name is Ari Levy. I'm a technology reporter with Bloomberg News here in San Francisco. Uh, I cover um, venture capital and startups and uh, the extent to which music and technology come together. Um, I do a little bit of that as well. Uh, I'm going to let these guys introduce themselves, and then we'll, um, we'll get right into it. Peter? All right. Hi, I'm Peter Sue, and I'm a venture capitalist associate at DCM, Doll Capital Management, and we're just a $2 billion early stage fund. And I personally focus on consumer internet, social media, uh, mobile, and particularly music, just a big music fan. And before that, I did M&A and, and uh, IPO advisory at Goldman Sachs. William Quigley with Clearstone Venture Partners. Uh, our firm used to be known as Idea Lab. for those of you who remember the, uh, uh, the Internet Incubator, when we did a lot of music deals back then, and, uh, and, and we still are. Larry Marcus from Walden Venture Capital. We do what we call Sprout Stage Investing, and it's post-product or technology development, so I want to be able to see a demo of the product. That's kind of the starting point to figure out if it makes sense uh, to invest. And um, I'm the boards of uh, Pandora, uh, Root Music, Bandpage, and uh, Soundhound. Hi, I am Vince Bannon. I am both a recovering record executive and recovering concert promoter. I'm now uh, at a wonderful company called Getty Images. We are made up of 134 acquisitions. Uh, some that you may know, iStock Photo, Pump Audio, Red Ferns, and Michael Oaks I was specifically involved in. Um, my whole uh, remit at Getty is to look at anything around what we could possibly do to grow music, and that could be an imagery, footage, and as well as licensing music. All right. Well, uh, it's a M&A panel, and we happen to have a, a news peg in that uh, there's a $3.3 billion uh, deal out there for Warner Music. Uh, looks like it might actually be uh, somewhat of a, a, a bidding war going on in the music industry, which perhaps is a good thing. Um, Vince, why don't we start with you? What is uh, seeing a $3.3 billion offer out there for Warner Music and uh, you know what that means for the, the future of the, the, the major labels and, uh, and how should we be looking at this now? Well, it, it's interesting. I think it's, you know, that a lot of people are looking at it because obviously music is very sexy, right? And music's been getting a lot of press on the fact that they can't sell any, or that it's not doing well, or it's being pirated, or everything else that the music industry is telling you that's wrong with its industry. And it's interesting that, yes, somebody will pay $3.3 billion for a company when they've been losing a billion dollars a year. Uh, I, and it's interesting that the entire, say, major label sort of uh, uh, companies uh, have been preaching this whole thing that our, their business is in trouble, that they, uh, you know, that nobody wants to uh, listen to music or license music or uh, pay for music. And I fundamentally believe that uh, every major record company will probably go through a change of ownership in the next couple of years just because of either the parent companies not wanting to deal with the majors that they currently have or the ones that are being owned by, uh, repossessed by a bank will be for sale 
and what will happen to what's the, what's the end game of the current people that have bought in Warner Music. And, and Larry, I'll, I'll add this and, and let you answer this way. Um, so in addition to Warner, the, the other deals that have sort of been notable of late, EMI, uh, and, and in, in a distressed situation, and um, sort of waiting to see what happens with MySpace Music is another one, that, or MySpace in general, um, another one that, that we're hearing about, talking about, wondering what's going to happen. Uh, it all seems to be distressed situations. Is that a concern, or does that signify that maybe we're at the bottom and things are going to start picking up soon? Yeah, so to me, when I hear these companies, I just hear of, you know, this is sort of the industry just kind of turning over an industry that's been around a while that's really having issues, and it's kind of the legacy. The part that I'm excited about, which I think some of these trends are good for, is kind of the emerging tech companies that are helping to connect consumers more directly with the music mm -hmm. through technology. And it's just really a different model and uh, you know, selling music the old way, which took a long time for a lot of people to realize that that was not gonna continue. Um, that's, I think, the big challenge with these businesses. <coughs> they haven't really adapted to the consumer yeah. in an exciting way. But I think <clears throat> new change, new management, is potentially going to really help licensing in a positive way to bring it to consumers in a more exciting manner. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'll just add to that. Uh, the, the toughest thing for a company to change is it's not its technology, it's its business model. It's always been the case. You're almost better off just ending a company's existence and starting over than to try to change the business model because all the apparatuses, the, the financial systems are geared towards one method of making money. Um, so I think this is terrific. The, um, the primary way the music industry executives make money is through lawsuits. And how that, that will be, uh, there'll be a change of ownership, what hopefully we'll see are more uh, creative ways to monetize their asset. Because obviously, look at, look at this crowd, music isn't going away. And subscriptions, I will say this, subscription businesses are far more interesting, frankly, than a lot of the ad-supported ones. And, and it turns out in, biz, in, in music, uh, lots of people are willing to pay uh, a subscription. So uh, I, I actually think this is, a, this is good news. And the price, you know, five, six years ago, it probably would have gone for $10 billion. It's $3 billion now. Uh, who knows? Could go for $10 billion when it gets flipped again in, in five years. Yeah, well, what I think is funny about this, uh, all this consolidation and all these LBOs of music companies is that it's kind of symbolic of the actual industry where you have the old school media, they're all, they're all on the defensive end, and now they're going to be run by these guys in suits, uh, cutting costs, optimizing EBITDA and margins. Um, but what I'm more excited about, to Larry's point, is kind of that, that value creation of, of real engagement, real music being created, and real value being created around different and new business models. Um, I think that's what's exciting about the energy in this room, where it's, it's about what's being created, not very, less so about what's being consolidated and just cleaned up. So uh, on the more uplifting side then, uh, Pandora has filed for an IPO. Uh, I never thought I'd see the day when a music streaming service actually was able to go public in this country, but it looks like it, looks like it may happen. Um, how significant is this for the momentum of the industry? Uh, you guys, both as investors and and Vince, uh, you know, more in the industry. How significant is it that, that this goes well and that you know it provides a little bit of momentum for for some of the other companies? It depends how greedy that the rights holders get. 
in this. If they if they look at something and they go, geez, why is this company worth this and where's our share in it? Or if they go, this is a great thing that happened to us. The, I think really, you know, what Larry touched on is, is Pandora is a fantastic product. The, uh, the end user loves it, right? What, what the biggest issue that, the, that say the major right holders, right, across the board lost touch with is lost touch with their customer. And your customer is your most important, important asset, right? And the, the fact that a great, you know, uh, technology and great companies uh, like say a Pandora, which my wife has about 30 Pandora stations, right, is a great, you know, it, it, it coming out big and doing really, really well will be fantastic. Let's hope that the rights holders see this as a benefit because don't hang on to price point. That's the worst thing you could possibly do. Sorry, when you say rights holders. I'm saying the majors, I'm saying, you know, the, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, the, the big labels, et cetera, you know, the publishers, right? This, there, there's all this sort of land grab out there. And there's so many companies out there trying a land grab on land grabs they shouldn't be grabbing on, right? You know, from the performing rights societies, from the PROs, from uh, in Europe, it's why iTunes isn't in a lot of countries or whatever, right? It's this whole land grab, right? Like going, oh, this guy's making money, so we better, you know, we didn't make enough money on this deal. We didn't make enough money on this deal, right? We made no money on MTV. They, you know, all these things that uh, it tends to be that the majors always tend to blame everything where they should keep all this money instead of looking at it in a sense of the fact that there is so much that, that music should be doing out there and there's so many places that music should be and that the, that the end user, that person that wants to have it on their mobile phone, have it at home, have it streamed, have it available in every sort of way they possibly have instead of this sort of scarcity that was the old model. So Larry, how does Pandora uh, keep itself as a consumer-friendly product uh, given all of the the rights holders that are out there? I, I wish I could <laughs> chat about it. It's just not appropriate for me to discuss it at all right now. Larry's, Larry's, Larry's a board member. I thought I might catch him off guard. <laughs> apparently, apparently he came prepared. Uh, William, I'll, uh, I'll give you that question. That was really nice try, though. <laughs> <laughs> Bloomberg reporters can go home now. Can you rephrase it? Sure. Yeah. You want me to rephrase it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, how does Pandora... Uh, continue to be a consumer-friendly product, given that there are so many rights holders out there that can lay claim to it? Well, uh, so I'll say that's a very tough question to answer. Obviously, the, uh, the guy who would know the most here isn't allowed to speak because of the quiet rule uh, for the S-1 filing. Um, but it, it is the fundamental question that they'll have to contend with. I, I, I guess I would say this. When I was at Disney in the 80s, um, we, uh, had, we joined in with all the other studios in the lawsuits against the, the, the uh, VHS cassettes. You guys may or may not, depending on the age you remember those. Uh, and uh, it was, I was in the strategic planning group and it was all doom and gloom and we thought that they were gonna take all of our movies and, and the studios weren't gonna make anything afterwards. Um, as it turns out, even today, uh, the most profitable segment of the studios, uh, uh, the studios themselves, uh, the content profit comes from DVD sales. Now, by the way, that is rapidly collapsing. In fact, probably in a year and a half, two years, that won't exist anymore and they'll have to do something else, which is why they're getting into things like online gaming and online music. But uh, what I'll say about that related to Pandora then is, it always takes a few years 
for any of these rights holders to realize that ultimately they're going to make more money in the new phenomenon than the old. That coupled with the fact that as the old revenue model starts to collapse, and let's face it, music, that story's already been written. My guess is um, uh, Pandora, uh, I mean, the biggest challenge I would say Pandora's going to have is, as it is today, they pay an awful lot per song for you to listen to it. Now, if they had more subscribers, that would be... uh, that would help that. But on an advertising basis, it's still a very tight margin. So what they're going to have to do at some point is convince the music industry that lowering that rate or changing the economics of that rate will allow them to get a bigger audience, allow them to get more subscribers, and allow them ultimately to line the pockets of the music industry more. And and uh, they're going to have a big war chest. They're going to have a lot of cash, which is going to help them. Um, but it is, you know, it, they're, they're tight economics here. And so, so Peter, it, it seems like it's not just um, the economics of the business itself, but it's also competition. You know, in addition to Pandora, you've got uh, Slacker, obviously. You have Spotify, which is at a, a billion-dollar valuation um, uh, based on a private investment. Uh, RDO, Mog, in addition to Last FM and iHeartRadio, which are both part of, of and Rhapsody pu- and Rhapsody, you know? the list the list actually goes on. Yeah, that's that's good. Definitely going to be a challenge for someone like Pandora. I think they're they're fortunate where they have the first mover advantage. They're they, they are huge on mobile. Um, they have the best curation recommendation engine. They have all the mindshare. Um, the way I see it panning out, um, so I have my hypothesis is in the next in the midterm in the five in the next five seven years, you're probably going to see a bifurcation of how people listen to music online and I think it's going to split into uh, you have one camp the people that 15 years ago just listened to the radio passively the second camp people that would go off and make their own mixes and burn their CDs so you have passive and on demand but I, I don't think it's going to be the eight guys you just named but probably two or three um, a winner takes most market where uh, it's either Pandora uh, Mog, Spotify, already one, one or two of those guys is really going to um, have all the minds you're getting in the car. Uh, they'll be on your phone. They'll be on your desktop. Yeah, and in that point, I guess I would disagree a little bit. I, I, I think this, it's like the studio business. Uh, in one way, it's very generic. There's lots of movies, but they are, you have a few ways of making them. You would think there'd be one great studio that gets all the financing, that gets all the actors. It turns out there's, there's hundreds. Um, there's a lot of ways to bifurcate it. You've got independent shops, and even in the music industry, right? You have eMusic, company I was involved with years ago. They are really an independent music label now, um, doing uh, pretty well through subscriptions. I, so I think, and particularly when you go overseas, I think there will be very dominant players, but I don't see it, it as a winner take most. I, I, I think. Five years from now, there'll be more music companies, and, and I actually believe it'll be more diffused in terms of revenue percentage. Well, uh, you know what? It, it also, it will de- right now, the one hasn't held its hand up of what it's going to be, to be really honest with you, right? I mean, the experience changed for me fundamentally when I put a Sono system in my house, right? And, yeah, yeah. and the fact that... You How know, much I, did that cost? Um, <laughs> actually, <laughs> in uh, a full transparency, it was a gift. Um, and not from them. But anyways, uh, 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 and I have a wife who believes uh, Bridget Bardot is a pop star, right? So it's like made <laughs> my life much easier these days, you know, and a son who loves Yo Gabba Gabba. 
But anyways, going back to it, it's like nobody here is talking about the flat screen. Nobody's talking about the iPad. I mean, the whole idea of where you can take music to really hasn't even been touched yet. Like the, the one big issue is for me is that music's basically been an Excel sheet for the last 10 years, right? You know, that you, um, you have all your tracks on iTunes and, you know, that's, that's where it all is. Where it is going... And I've seen certain technologies and certain players and certain people that I cannot discuss here is that whole contextual way of, of being much better than the album experience, combining every sort of asset possible. And that hasn't even like, you know, reared its, you know, its head yet. So it's, it's, it, it's you know, uh, it's going to happen. It's going to come out there. And we still don't even know who the players are. Yeah, I, 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 like, I really like the point you made about... Um how there can be new models based around providing context around music. And yeah. for me, I think, for someone that's interested in social media music, I, I feel like there's a play to be had where you take photo sharing and what Facebook did for essentially what photo sharing is, is photo sharing is probably about 50% of what Facebook's functionality is, but they built social engagement around it. Likes, comments, tags, and they built Facebook around photos. Can you do the same analog for a Facebook around music? So there's companies like Like.fm doing curation, social engagement around music. And I feel like music's inherently social. If you can use social media to, to actually engage around that, then I feel like there's, there's a big play to be had there. Yeah, I mean, let me jump in on that one, which is it, there's a lot of different ways that people think about music, a lot of different states of mind where you actually think about music and then enter into an experience. Obviously, radio and listening is one. Um, search and social are absolutely other ones. So suddenly you're thinking of a song, you hear a song, and I mean that's why SoundHound is is doing millions of downloads a month because people love identifying music they're hearing. They like running searches for it, integrating with the iPod, all these great features, all the metadata, the lyrics are a really big deal. And so you didn't have a handheld computer with a microphone on it you know, 10 years ago and five years ago. So I think search as a vertical sort of like, you know, kayak is a travel vertical and, you know, Yelp is a local vertical. I think music is a legitimate search vertical and that's more how is that gonna compare with Google and what other search engines do and can on a, something like that really win. And then on the social side, I mean, there's just millions of songs, uh, tens of millions of songs being shared um, in in Facebook right now, you know, through uh, like a band page app. So those are very exciting. I think subscription services um, have to offer a tremendous amount of value to deliver, to be worth paying. And I still have trouble with the pay models because it shrinks the market so rapidly. But there's always a small percentage that really will pay. And that also tends to be a very vocal minority as well. So you can over-index on that group, you know, particularly in this group, I'm sure everybody here is just wild about their collections and the playlists and all these things, but, you know, at a certain point, you run into, like, normal people, and they're like, what music should I listen to? And you realize that, you know, it's sort of, we're in a minority who loves that deep, deep well, level. The average, the average uh, consumer in the 90s only bought two CDs a year, and that's like, what people don't realize, right? Right, and that's a great stat. It, it is, and, and it's a reality. And the fact that 
what happened in the 90s. It was still the, 30 bucks, though. Yeah, but, yeah. but what happened, though? But what happened... And it was in, probably for two songs, yeah, right? Yeah. No, no, I would, right. say, I would say that the, 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 it, was, it was people actually going a lot to their, um, say, you know, buying the Journey record that they had on cassette, you know, or they had on vinyl, right? And that's really what was the, let's say, the false structure of what happened to the major labels in the 90s, right? And that's why they were valued so high, because of their... Um, their catalog and that they would keep being able to like put out their catalogs and then at the end of the 90s when they really realized everybody was cataloged up that's really when the industry really faced its you know real significant uh, uh, downfall let me, let me throw another question out um, so in going direct to consumer it looks like now Apple is, is your, your best option followed perhaps by Google and Facebook um, are we talking about the new titans of the industry looking out five years, uh, are we giving the platform companies too much control if that's the way to go direct to consumer? Short answer is yes. Uh, it, it's tough because uh, for someone that, I, I love music, but, and that there's, whenever I listen to a song, there's a huge emotional connection, but from a business perspective, at the end of the day, it's music is content and you're competing. It's, it's content, it's entertainment, it's competing with all sorts of emerging other forms of entertainment, whether it's social games, um, whatever you're doing online. Um, th there's so many different form factors just competing for your, for your time. Um, so I, I think Tom Silverman actually put it really well. Uh, he, I, he made this analog to how music has always been, the, the industry used to always present the rapper. So in the 60s, you have the, the, the LP, the vinyl, then, then you have the tape, then you have the CD. Uh, but now in this era, you have uh, the the iPod, and guess who controls that? It's not it's not any of the labels. Yeah, but they, they, it's interesting. The the old school music industry will blame their first downfall on not having a piece of MTV, and that what ended up in the '90s being your most expensive product was your music video that you made no money from, and then they got pissed off at MTV when they stopped playing music videos. Go figure. I mean, the 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 big thing that's happening right now is there's a vacuum for discovery. And you, you can see it in the fact of, like, say, how radio's diminished, right? You know, where are kids listening to, to music? And also, say, in the United States period, where we've really ghettoized music, where, say, in the UK, you know, they treat music like a national sport. So when Glastonbury's going on, you know, it's on the front page of the BBC. It's, you know, they're, they're, they're simulcasting the, the, the show on the BBC. It's, you know, they, they follow their stars religiously, you know, and everything that they do. Here, it's like, if you, if you look, there's like Rolling Stones, more or less a political magazine with some music coverage, right? And they're, yeah. it's... No, they're real, and, and it's like then you have sites like Pitchfork that are so you know left of center, right? You know, and where is you know let's say that the discovery element, which is almost like if you say if you're going to Lollapalooza or Coachella where they're featuring a Paul McCartney, and at the same thing they're you know they're they're featuring you know Passion Pit you know in Beirut, right? There isn't that anymore in the United States, period. Well, but it is. I would say what you just said. It's the it's the live music venues, which are as popular as they've ever been. And uh, 360 deals now are the are the the way most labels and most uh, most people now in the music industry expect deals to be done. So you know you get a little segment from the the online piece. You get some from your um, 
your live music events, and you hope it, it, collectively that's enough to, to support the base. And um, you know, at some point, online may result in more revenue than what's been lost. I think it has to at, at some point. Um, but today, it, it's it, it's not there. The revenue isn't there. But what the most amazing thing is, you still have more artists today than you had 10 years ago. So the content is still being created. It's just that now the labels are less important uh, as arbiters of taste. And maybe, maybe Apple is. But I remember even going back to the MP3 days, we did not have uh, any good way to assess what music you wanted to listen to. Now you have Pandora's uh, Music Genome Project. It's pretty good, but you can do a lot more. Um, and maybe that eliminates some of the experimentation. But I also think when you, most consumers consume music passively. You know, they want to hear a song come after another song after another song, which is why, even though you create these great um, playlists, most people would prefer someone else to do it for them, which is why we have DJs. The, the value of a playlist diminishes right, rapidly, by, and then you, you go from loving it and being thrilled by it to you actually resent it. Which is great because that means there's constant need to refresh it which is the essence of how you make money in content, which is why DJs go and remix, and the song you were bored with, now you love. Um, you know, so there's, there's, um, there's some very positive aspects of, of music and, and the way we consume it. The discovery piece, I think, uh, Pandora's done as good a job as anybody, but there'll be a lot more to be done. Um, let's talk a little bit about startups and, and investing in them. Uh, William, you had a, a post today on TechCrunch, right? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. On um, how uh, in the in the venture-backed market, uh, private investors are, are poised to make substantially more money in many of their investments now than, than they have historically. Um, and I'll let you, you talk a little bit about that, but maybe answer in, in this context as well. Um, when you're looking specifically at music investments, who do you see as the potential acquirers? Uh, and, and are there enough to make it a valuable investment if you, th there are only, there are only gonna be so many IPOs. Yeah, yeah. Is, is it enough for it to be a, a valuable investment or do you have to think about kind of the 100 to $200 million exit? Well, I'll say this. First, we are in a golden age right now when it comes to IPOs. Uh, I'm hoping, Larry, that uh, Pandora is, is joining that ranks of the iconic companies. Um, so let me answer it, it this way first. The, um, the way that private investors, venture capitalists, and, and angel investors are getting rewarded now is, is radically different than the way it was even during the dot-com bubble, which I was a part of. Uh, you are now, think about this. Um, Cisco went public at a $200 million valuation. Amazon, which went public during the great internet bubble, went public at a $400 million valuation. Now, that's 100 million less than Foursquare is trying to get right now. Think about that, for the, for the world's greatest e-tailer. Uh, eBay, 600 million valuation. Compare that now to, I don't want to denigrate, but, but just a lot of ho-hum companies that are getting billion dollar valuations. And the, the companies that are getting the greatest valuations today are consumer-facing companies. And of course, nothing is more consumer-ish than music. So uh, I believe that if you are successful at getting an audience for your company, today you will have 
uh, a greater valuation than you could ever have achieved in in, um, in, in all the back areas and the last technology cycles. Uh, so that's the good news for everyone who's who's in that business. On to the point of. Uh, 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 acquisitions. Think about this. In 2004, 5, 6, 7, 8, pretty much there was one game in town to get bought. It was Google. Remember that? If you were a consumer facing company, you needed to be bought by Google. They did like 75 acquisitions. Da, da, da. Um, in the music space, there's Google's, but there's now, uh, there'll be Pandora's. Uh, there'll be lots of other companies that go public. Spotify, maybe in the UK, maybe not here because of legal issues. If you have two, and by the way, the beautiful thing about mergers and acquisitions is you only need two people bidding on you to get great valuations. In fact, even when there's 10 or 12 companies potentially who aren't or interested in you, it only matters if there's two, because then they fight each other. Remember that company, 3PAR, that Dell and HP wanted? It had a $600 million valuation. It was a storage company. And by the time it was all said and done a month later, it was worth $2.4 billion. Uh, more money than they had made since they started the company and all the time they'd been public just in that M&A period of 30 days. So they'll be, as long as there's an Apple and a Pandora, you'll have a few others, um, you'll be fine. So Larry, without talking about Pandora, um, looking at uh, your, your, your existing investments in, in SoundHound and Root Music and, and potential companies, uh, companies that you're looking at in the music space. Oh, how much do you think about exit? You have to think about exit opportunity. How do you think about exit opportunity when you're when you're going into the investments now? Sure. Well, the the whole point of venture capital investing is actually to exit and deliver returns. I mean, it is really just an asset class, and and investors choose from you know should they go in real estate funds or late stage private equity or early stage venture capital. So, uh, I'd say. If, if you're in venture capital, you don't think about that that exit on the way in, then you're probably not going to be in venture capital, you know, all that long. Um, That's true. There's, I think, companies move through different valuations, and as that their need to get higher exits goes up, you have to potentially either sell to a late stage private equity firm, where you have tons of momentum in the business, or you need to sell or you need to IPO. Now the first one I just said did not exist in the prior period. There are large pools of private equity money that will go in and if you're early, you can sell your stock to them in the secondary market. And there's actually secondary players that are popping up all over the place now. And secondary means it's not the company that's selling shares, but it's an existing shareholder. Um, but part of why I like this sprout stage is it means I'm getting pretty low valuations and the companies are capital efficient so if it ended up that you needed to exit for a lower valuation you can still make really good returns and if the companies can really break out then you're really driving huge multiples but if you you know overpay on the way in it's going to be hard you know to do that to to get that fundamental value on the way out but I think in terms of the thing that I focused on most really goes back to something that William highlighted, which is um, focusing on the consumer. And if the consumer is really pumped about the product and it's getting great adoption, that's just you know, great scale to tap into to figure out how to drive yield off of, right? which is getting paid per user in a different form. But if you don't have the users there, you can't figure out how to get paid. And I'm much more willing to take the risk of 
you know, driving mass adoption and then figuring out how to get paid because that's what media is and that's an execution play. And, you know, time has always led to being worth money in media. Now, at times, people say, no, that's not going to happen because it seems so scary. Early internet, you know, sites had massive page views and they were hemorrhaging money, but those turned into media companies and those are great examples you know for eBay and Amazon and this kind of new chapter that opened uh, Pete, Peter you're a, a music fanatic but skeptical of music investments what what are you looking for what could get you really excited in a, in a music startup well first I wouldn't say I'm skeptical about music investments. I'm I would say it's it's just a tough space I mean we've been talking about it um, how do you monetize content even if you have a lot of users and Larry just pointed out it's an execution play. Um, so I think with, with looking for good music investments, what, we're, what we usually look for is um, a lot of it is execution. So team, um, just a team that has the relevant background and the relevant industry in that role, having a successful track record. Um, huge addressable market. Uh, and, when, and when I talk about markets, uh, I think the size has to be big enough for one of those exits that that uh, Larry spoke about to occur. So can this, is this a market that can sustain a company that can get to an IPO? And usually to go public, you need probably 50 to $100 million in revenue before you can even think about filing for an S1 um, for a meaningful IPO. So can this company get to $100 million in revenue? Is the market large enough to sustain that? And uh, just drilling down to the products, I mean, is this something that, that people need beyond just uh, like uh, a niche group of hardcore whales, um, is it is it going to be a product that will have widespread adoption? So team, product, uh, market. I, I'd say those are the key metrics. Um, I would say w one thing that's helpful to point out, um, just for the the startups in the room, the entrepreneurs. I think uh, one thing that's helpful to know is just that when you talk to different investors, there's there's different return profiles they have. Um, so like DCM, we're, we're focused on probably 70% of our investments are Series A with some seed, some later stage. But the return profiles we look for are 10x on our money or $100 million in absolute returns. So if a lot of the times I see really great music companies, really passionate entrepreneurs that, that have great ideas, but it's, they're addressing maybe a, a market that's more niche that will get you to a sub $50 million exit like a Tapulis or a Conduit Labs. Great companies. Um, but for our investment profile, that, that's not going to help us get to returning $100 million for our LPs. But I think there's other investors that are earlier stage, angel or seed, where it's perfect for them. So I think just knowing kind of the different investment uh, profiles is going to be really helpful for, for uh, um, entrepreneurs, especially for music startups. Yeah, and nowadays, as I'm sure all of you know, uh, back in the day in the 90s, you raised 100, 200, 300 grand for your startup from angels. 300 being at the high end. I mean, I just closed a $5 million financing that was all angel financed. And then one before that, a, a month ago, 3.7 million. And one before that, 2.2 million. All angel financed. No VCs. Danger, so, Will Robinson. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and there's good things and bad things about venture capitalists, right? Uh, if you uh, if you have not perfected your revenue model or your business model, VCs will screw you up big time. They're, they'll insist you spend lots of money in an, in a direction that's not creating value. Lo and behold, they don't tell you this, but once you've taken venture capital money, you have to pay it back before you get anything. All the money that they give you has to be paid back. It's debt. Essentially, it's debt. Well, 
You know, you don't want to spend debt unless you know what it is that you're spending on is going to create real value for you. Uh, angels typically have a, a, a more flexible terms. And nowadays, as I said, if you have a million dollar kind of need, I wouldn't go the venture route. I would go uh, the angel route. It depends on the company, though. It, it really depends on, you know, the the one thing that I find, right, and and this is just saying this to, to some of the startups or that out there, I've seen venture capitalists act like, uh, for lack of a better word, like great A&R people. And they really help uh, guide the business. They really help the, the entrepreneur really shape and say this is a vision and, and they share the vision. I know some, some VCs I've right, talked that to. that is like as rare as a unicorn, just so you know. <laughs> All right. Uh, VCs, know. I'm a VC, but VCs helping you out, the reality uh, you is know what? Uh, venture capitalists want to do one thing. Right. They and as make, I said, yeah. I am one. VCs want make money. to make money. Well, yeah, okay. And uh, they least, want, but know. it's two things. We want to make money and we want to sit back in our lazy chair yeah. and watch you make money. Right. Yeah. So that's that's what that's the easiest thing to do. For the so record, it, it's the non-VC defending the VCs. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. That is true. Yeah. This is very confusing. Yeah. No, but I, as I said, you know, as acquiring, uh, you know, as a company that's acquired 134 uh, companies, right? I've seen really good VCs out there, and of I, and, and of I've course, seen right. ones that have like really have taken companies to a great, and they're passionate. That's the other thing is like the guys that happen to own Sonos uh, are so passionate about the product, and it was like. Wow, I get it, you know. Well, what you're sure focusing on, yeah. though, is this. And yeah, they forget about the firm, all that other bullshit. It's the person, right? Who are you raising money from? The person matters. There are people who don't want to do a lot of work, and they're, they're not bashful about that. Said, so look it, I'm here to make money. I'm here not to work too hard. Here's a big check. Make money for me. And then there are those who say, I actually am really interested in where in the direction of this business. So just ask them. Just look at their investments. Are they investing in a lot of late stage deals, which means they're probably not as active, or are they there at the seed stage? You, when you figure that out, you can kind of figure out who you want in your deal. You may not want a lot of help, by the way. You might know exactly what you want to do and not want to be interfered with. So just understand that. Uh, so Pandora notwithstanding, will any of you consider investments in music startups that require licensing from the labels? Absolutely. A absolutely. Yeah, they're, they're, and the models will change. The models will change when they need more money. And, and, and there's going to come a point that they're going to have to make licensing a lot easier. A lot easier. Mm -hmm. And right now, there is so much product that's out there that's not being used, right? If you take a look at, say, their vast content libraries and the fact that they're holding on to all these various price points, right, is, and it's just sitting there doing nothing except collecting dust, right? that eventually, as these models change, the owners change, whatever, there will be uh, licensing deals that will be a lot easier. I think at this so. point, though, it's really tough to, to invest. It's, it's, it's always a big risk um, where it's, it's the content and the license holders. And then what falls out from that is multiple license holders that all want a piece of the pie. And so to me, from an investment perspective, it makes it very tough to to navigate that. So whenever I do look at deals like that, I, I, I'm, I have to be very savvy. But the, the trouble is I'm not, uh, I wasn't on the Grokster case and can navigate all the legal implications of, of certain policies. And that's what makes it tough as an investor to, and, to deal with the license uh, uh, issues. Yeah, licensing is complicated. However, I, I, I was the CFO of, of Disney's uh, licensing division. 
And uh, we had about 5,000 licensees. We were the world's largest, still are the world's largest licensee, licensor. Uh, but what I'll say is our licensing rates were, and I manage these, were incredibly flexible. 1% to, at the time, 14%. I mean, massive range. And we would change them every new product cycle. Our, we, our goal was to capture a certain amount of operating income from the companies. If you're in a hard goods business, you're making waffle irons, you're making eight, nine percent operating margins. We couldn't charge you 14 percent. We'd be taking more than 100 percent of your profit. We'd charge you two percent. This is where the music industry, I think, is, is sadly isn't financially literate. You know, you have to look at every single category. My guess is online, there are areas where you could charge eight, nine, ten percent, and there are places where you can charge one percent. And to maximize the, the, the total value pie, you have to do that. Unfortunately, there's so many restrictions on music licensing, it's hard to get that done. Disney had the benefit of being one licensor. They owned all the characters, so they could do whatever they wanted. Uh, I'm actually going to uh, disagree with you. I'm actually a larger licensor than you. Um, I license a piece of content a second uh, um, from our various companies, and we make it really easy to license imagery, footage, and music and it's all pre-cleared and it's all on prices on what the user is going to use it for and as but we what's the disagreement the I disagreement understand. that we we license a lot more content than you do <laughs> <laughs> or disney ever has oh uh, i'm not talking about content i'm okay. just talking absolute dollars uh, okay. they do 14 billion i don't know what uh, okay we do a billion you all know right. but it just yeah yeah yeah, but, but we like yeah, no, I get it. No, we, okay. no, Getty is clearly a, a fantastic license licensor, a great custodian because you have such uh, it's one-off things, right? So you've had to be very, very specific about and very make it very, very easy. By the way, why is Apple doing so well? Because they've made it. Yeah, it's very restrictive, but they made it pretty simple. And and unfortunately, I think in the music business, they they haven't made it so simple. Yeah, I'll go ahead. I'll just say that. Uh, I will not do a deal that requires direct licenses, period. And there's a whole wide range of reasons for it, but simply put, I, when you have multiple parties at the table yeah. and you can't do a statutory deal with all of them, but you're trying to do one-off deals, you, you have a situation where it's, particularly with the current mindset, you can't step back and say, hey, it's a win-win deal. That hasn't been the mindset of the industry. Now, I think there's always movement to make that change. And if a deal was done, if somebody could navigate that and they could say, hey, look, here's a win-win deal. And a win-win deal is typically defined as if somebody is successful, the other person is like, that's great. Whereas the mindset has been that person is successful. It's like, oh, we should have taken more from them. So they weren't. Or yeah. So I think that's really the key and for a startup uh, going around and doing those deals is not only time consuming but it's incredibly expensive and there's advances involved and unless the advances are de minimis to the point of non-existent it's just not a good use of venture capital cash let's uh let's take some questions uh any anyone out there i think there's a mic is there a mic roaming around yeah right here yeah, actually, following on your, your comment here about licensing, where do you think that Creative Commons fits into this model, and is there a chance that one day Creative Commons might emerge and surpass the, the, the 
commercial model that we have now? Not in my investment time horizon. The question was about uh, Creative Commons and when might that model be more, I guess, larger and more important than it is today. Uh, question right behind you. So kind of following on with that, do you feel like um, some form of digital rights management and maybe some standardization as far as either licensing models or engines to track all that kind of stuff is going to be essential? And also you talked about the kind of creative monetization or flexibility in licensing. Do you see sort of a, a need for just a complete like cultural revolution in terms of you know, I think some people are talking about, you know, music is no longer really the product. It's kind of the loss leader or the marketing teaser to get people in to buy into other products or services or additional content. I know that's kind of a rambler, but see if you can dive in on that. Want me to dive in on that one? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, what Larry, you know, is the benefit of right now is um, the fact that uh, they have a compulsory license and with Pandora. And you say, if you are uh, the content holders now, majors, right? And you obviously have like what, you know, William was uh, uh, very adverse about is the fact that there's so many multiple rights holders that are all, you know, sitting there and they all want their piece. The fact is the piece is going lower and lower. There's a value in music. Let's face it, there is a value in music. The fact is they're making it very, very, very difficult to get out there and license. Not only like why Pandora will never be in Europe is because of every little country has a, a, a different right society that wants a different vig for what the license is, right? And the fact that they can't agree on it and there's a European Union, right? They've got to change this, right? And that's the fundamental thing that eventually as these companies keep shrinking and shrinking and shrinking, they're going to go look at all these other industries that are out there licensing their uh, intellectual, uh, you know, IP, right? And they're making lots of money from it. I just think it's going to be a, a, a natural over time. Right back there on fourth or fifth row. Relatively boring question. If you're a startup talking with angels, how important is it that you're a C corporation in Delaware versus California? I, I'd, I mean, it definitely depends uh, is, the, is the, the short answer. But for whatever reason, most, and there's reasonably good reasons, but most investors like uh, the Delaware uh, Chancery Court and all the laws that go down there with respect to corporations. So uh, there's no reason not to just be a Delaware corporation. I mean, everyone has their own view that, oh, California's fine. To, I, everybody understands Delaware. I just do Delaware. That's personally. <laughs> Nevada? Sorry. Question is, what about Nevada? Uh, other questions out there? I can throw another one out if not. Oh, over here, sorry. Yeah, my name's Marcos. Um, you know, so we hold these events uh, probably every quarter called uh, Music Hack Days. And at these Music Hack Days, a lot of the things that you guys are talking about are reality. We build them in 24 hours and 48 hours, sometimes we have run-ups, meaning we do a lot of pre-prepping to do these things. Um, do you guys go to these events? We don't see you. There's innovation there that's happening that is addressing a lot of your problems that doesn't get the traction. 
just one quick point on that. That's the technical solution, right? But what I said before, it's business models that are the toughest things to change. There is, they're as hard to change as a culture, as a language, as a religion. I mean, you know, yes, yeah, that's, you know, that I know there's a lot of great technical solutions. But, but Marcus, you make a yeah. good point. I think there should be more venture capitalists that go to these events to see what's up and coming to promote it. Because I mean, this is, I've been going to a couple of these events and over the past uh, couple of months, and I think when I first, when I was at the Digital Music Forum West in LA in October, I was the only uh, venture capitalist there probably. And it's uh, great to finally be here where there's there's three here, Rishi's in the back. Um, so that's, that's, I think the more investor interest there is in the ecosystem, the better it is for everybody. Yeah, and I'll say, if, if something's come out of there, you know, and it's a great demo, that it feels really exciting, that's, that's something that I'm really interested in seeing. That's a great starting point. One other thing that didn't come up, I think you know, when you talk about music, sometimes people just think it's all about specifically selling music, but there's big ecosystems around music and those are actually the ones I'm most interested in. And there's um, the musical instrument market, and there's a lot of things. I don't even know what instrument they are anymore. You know, somebody was playing a guitar and it was making, you know, flute sounds. Um, production, production tools, and we've got a DigiDesign founder in the room, and that's an incredible market, and it's continuing to innovate. And I don't know if you've looked at an iPad and thought that it looks like a chaos pad, or it looks like a DJ, um, you know, it looks, you know, put a turntable on, it looks like a, a DJ stand, um, but there's tremendous amount of innovation that I think is gonna happen there, and I'm excited about that. And education, you know, education has basically been, you know, you buy a book, and you stare at notes, and get through a couple of pages, and then, you know, lose the book, and then buy another one someday, and you know now again, I think with an iPad and that form factor, there's a chance to really sort of come home and have a great experience um, because again, this thing has a mic on it. There's uh, it's touch screens. It's it's very exciting. And then the whole app space and mobile. I mean, these are all really breakout areas. And if you know the hack day is generating some of this stuff, I think it's the commercialization of that that Williams highlighting is the issue, and that is a big issue. But I think that's the part that I'm, I'm most comfortable with. And, and I'll make that point to Larry's point. Uh, uh, the most recent investment I did was a, uh, was a company called Evertune in the music space that uh, keeps any stringed instrument permanently in tune. Um, and uh, it's an industry I knew very little about in terms of how much margin, how much business you can actually make from this product. It's a bridge. It's a bridge that keeps uh, the strings permanently in tune. And it turns out there's almost no innovation in in the hard goods side of uh, of uh, stringed instruments, and so uh, you there there are things beyond just digital. To Larry's point, that investors are interested in. So I, I did have a follow up for you when you were talking about the divorce of culture and technology over here, William. You were talking about uh, culture, and that's technology, but we're talking about culture. What's happening at Music Hack Days is, is you're talking about dynamic licensing. You can't offer dynamic licensing unless you know how many ears are in the room. So maybe one aspect of dynamic licensing is, well, if it's only one person listening to the song, oh, it's very inexpensive. 
However, if 30 or 40 people are listening to the music, well, the dynamic license, that license needs to be more expensive. The things that are happening at Music Hack Days are the underlying, underpinning technologies that allow you to count those ears, allow you to ar articulate how many plays, all these information that allow for the dynamic licensing, which will change culture, but culture will not change until technology demonstrates it can provide them an avenue forward. Let's get uh, one more question. And that's happening at Hack Days. Back here. <laughs> How do we get hold of you guys? committee and we'll look on it how do we get hold of you guys if we've got the next best thing yeah. so I'm Larry at WaldenVC.com W-A-L-D-E-N-V-C like VictorCharlie.com and uh, I, if you have a demo if you have a link to a video of the demo or a link to the actual product that's that's the best way to grab my attention yeah and, and me it's WilliamMcClearstone.com and uh uh, we all have, I assume, um, um, people who help us filter through things. We, you know, you get a lot of volume and you see it. One, one um, uh, mystery I, I'd like to sort of dispel here is that, oh, I, you know, the VCs never really spent the time looking up my deal. Maybe they didn't because it wasn't aimed at the right person. You know, you sent them an enterprise software or a biotechnology company and they only do online music or whatever. But uh, it's very easy for us to assess something in a few minutes. You know, uh, once you've been doing this for 20 years, you say, I'm interested, I'm not interested. Sometimes you don't know why you're not interested, but you're not. Uh, the, the one thing VCs don't do a good job of, frankly, is in saying back to the person who submitted it, by the way, I'm not that interested. Right, uh, and, and there's whole reasons for that. When you say that, then you engage in a dialogue and it could take an hour. To, but uh, uh, we try to do that, just say not interested, but we usually don't give any feedback because there's no time to give feedback. It's just we're not interested, which is fine. You know, there's lots of great companies. The vast majority of the best companies ever formed had far more people turn them down than who invested in them. Yeah, and, and also, I think, thanks for asking that question. The reason that I personally come to these events is so I can meet entrepreneurs that are trying to do cool things. So I'll be, I'll be uh, backstage after this. Um, but my, my email is psc at dcm.com and happy to take a look at any new ideas as well. And we tend to buy businesses. We tend to buy businesses that are started, that are already functioning, that already have revenue. So it's literally like we're not, we're not angels at all. Uh, we're not VCs at all. <laughs> we are acquirers. Time for one more question. You guys will tell us about it. You've already asked one, so maybe we'll go here. Yeah. Um, hi, so coming off of what he was saying earlier about <clears throat> having the technology to use all the metrics, um, what about taking all those metrics and remonetizing an artist's career as a whole and making them a stock? So fans can purchase stock um, in an artist mm -hmm. and it basically changes the, the infrastructure and the paradigm. Um, so I have a company called Rockstock that's in development. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that's, and then in, inside the system, there's a barter system. So basically, it, it, it's a combination of, of things. So. I would say at a high level, I don't know. I, I, you know personally, I'd have to so look into it. So I'm working on the UI right now. Just wanted to see. Yeah. Kind so, of, so to take, but you need that technology to take everything further um, to get the whole measurement. So. Thank you. Right. I love the name. 
<laughs> let me let me just Roxanne. throw up. Yeah. Unless anyone else has. Let, let me just throw out one final question here. Has anyone seen any innovation in ticketing that they're excited about? Bringing tickets down from $189? Uh, innovations in ticketing. Just really good counterfeits at Coachella. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Uh, um, uh, actually, uh, you know, uh, actually what, they, what they did at Coachella this year was really smart. Where they had the little you know, thing on the, on the band. They actually prevented 20,000 people that got in last year. Coachella was really well done this year, I thought. But anyways, going back to it, what's wrong with ticketing? It's ticket price. <laughs> you know, I mean, how many $125 tickets can people afford here, right? That's the, that's the issue with it, really. Sure. I, I guess I'm just waiting for innovation to bring that down. And, you know, and, and the thing is, they can, it, it's easy. You know what? If American Airlines can put your ticket on your cell phone, right, the problem is, right, because of the resale market, they'll never, nobody wants it on their, on their phones. So Live Nation is going to lose 75% of every ticket from now. Yeah. <laughs> just, just kidding. I actually don't so know I that. Add a service <laughs> fee on top of the service fee. Uh, great. Well, thank you all very much. Um, I, these guys will probably be around for a little bit if you have a. Uh, thank you.